Welcome to another technical episode where we are talking with Seawinds Naval Architect about catamaran design and what you should be looking for in a catamaran and the different aspects of the design that will enable it to perform and take you comfortably and safely across oceans if that's what you want to do. So uh, welcome back Antoine. We've discussed already daggerboards, we've discussed hull design, shapes, profiles, rockers, coefficients, all these good things that you know no one ever tells you when you're looking to buy a boat. So today I want you to, to discuss with you hull volumes. Now we have been on so many different catamarans and it does seem to me that the trend is now for these huge hulls that have got dishwashers, bowling alleys, all sorts of crazy things in a hull. But has this gone too far? You know, should people really expect to take everything they've got in their apartment into a boat? And has it kind of, is it ruining the catamaran experience? As, um, as a sailor, I would say yes. But um, as long as uh, you can sail safely and uh, the structure can handle uh, such high surface and such high uh, weight, uh, I think it's okay. Um, but don't expect uh, high performance, uh, high performance, don't expect sensation at the helm. Um, so depend of your, depend of your program. Um, I wouldn't say it's gone too far because it depends of the, if the markets want this, it's, uh, it's fine. And do you think, do you, what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to take your crystal ball out now. Do you think that the market is going to change? Do you think that the drive is towards kind of more internal volume to make it easier to transition into a catamaran? Or do you think people are going to go, actually, I'm on a boat because I want to sail and therefore we're willing to kind of give up certain, you know, luxuries to get a better performance? I think the trend is, um, no, it's not really more volume, but more simplicity. Um, to get people into the into the sailing, um, I think it's it's simplicity rather than more vo more volume, uh, because they already have a 1.8 meter width bed. It's bigger than uh, at home. So uh. <laughs> speak for yourself, Antoine. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I I do understand. I mean, I remember you know we were t I read somewhere that you know certain boats are actually designed when you know when the naval architect. Um, you know, has to start designing a boat. They start with a bed and then build a boat around the bed. I mean, is that true or is that just a myth? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, some some shipyard they start by the by the hull design. They look first at the performance and then they combine with the interior. They say, okay, we can fit the bed here. And but some ship, other shipyard more charter. Uh, the marketing said first, okay, I want a. 1.8 bed, I want the galley that big, I want this, that, huh? and then the naval architect built the hull, designed the hull around that. So it's a completely different uh, process and, um, and mindset. I think from the point of view, I mean, obviously I'm putting words into your mouth, but surely as a naval architect, if you are given a design brief that says, we want you to build this fantastic new catamaran, but it's got, you know, the, the most important thing is to get a, you know, 1.8 meter wide bed in, that must be soul destroying. Surely you might as well, especially, you know, you know, the French flair for things, you just throw your hands up in the air and leave and go and find someone else to do it, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can, can be... Um a bit annoying, but um, 
as another architect, you never design your boat, uh, the boat you dream. Yeah. It's uh, you always have to to design a boat through the uh, through the lens of your of your customer and to imagine what they want and to answer to their needs. Uh, as as another architect, I don't make I don't design a boat for for me, but for for the customer. Uh, I mean, that would be an interesting conversation to have. Actually, it'd be a lovely conversation to have with you at some point over a beer as to if you were just left to design a boat without influence, what would come out? I mean, it's, I suppose it's the same as seeing concept cars. You see these, you know, Audi bring out a concept and you think, I'd buy that. And then by the time the accountants get to it and they want to put, you know, a ski rack on it or seats for seven children, it comes out. The final product looks very, very different to, to, to you know, to, to what the, 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 the architect comes up with. Yeah, if it was bought for me, I would go for a really performance uh, catamaran, nothing inside, very light, um, top speed really high. I'm, I'm sure that when you look at the, the America's Cup boats, that they are essential naval architect designs because there's no limit to the money and there's no limit to, they just like, you know, so I'm assuming that when you get a naval architect designing America's Cup boats, that's, that's there's very little influence from, you know, um, to comfort on board. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, uh, it's uh, but it's quite. I think it would be quite expensive. Yeah. Listen, I I do feel for you know for naval architects that do have to kind of like work with clients that are difficult. I mean, when I was working, you know, as a dentist, I had patients that were that were actors, and they always used to say that you know there were to them the job that was always the worst job they could have was the work doing a McDonald's advert because they always said it pays the bills but it doesn't do your career any good and you don't feel pr proud doing it and I'm assuming there's an analogy there that you know if you were designing a boat where where you have to design the bed first and fit everything else around the bed it's a bit like doing the McDonald's advert yeah, a little bit so you have to find the right shipyard um, that make the boat as close as your as, as your as your ideal boat. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. So, listen, I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago in this in this discussion, and it's to do with the feel of the helm. Now, we have only sailed. I've sailed how many catamarans? I've sailed a Leopard. I've sailed a Sea Wind twelve sixty. We've sailed an Island Packet, and I've sailed an Uchimer. And I would say island that. Spirit. Oh, and an island. Sorry, sorry, an island spirit, not an island packet. Island spirit. And what I would say is that the feel through the helm is very different between all of them. The island spirit, I could feel nothing through the helm. It literally, it was it, there was no there was no connection between turning the wheel and feeling anything. It was I might as well have been driving a truck. But yet, Uchimer and this twelve sixty there's a lot of response through the helm and it felt I felt connected with it how much can you influence that feeling in your designs so um, first to the balance if the, the balance if your boat wants to tends to go windward or, uh, or, uh, or uh, leeward um, the compensation shape of your rudder the, the aspect ratio and the compensation and then you have the whole system of the steering system. Is it cable? Is it uh, uh, is it bar? Um, is the, the is the wheel far away from the rudder, so it makes the whole system complicated? And you have so many uh, so many uh, pulley that you finally you lose uh, you you lose uh, all the all the feelings. 
so yes, a couple of parameters to influence that. Okay, so but obviously when you're designing um, catamarans, you know you want people to feel engaged with the sailing experience. So you do you don't want a total disconnect. So, and you know I we've always said that you buy a boat with your heart, not with your head. And so you know to set to test sail something. And I will say this to anyone. Anyone that buys a catamaran nowadays without test sailing it, you know, you really do need to go and see if you can feel a, a connection and with that boat and or that brand. I mean, if you're going to buy, I don't know, Lagoon 45 or 42 and you've tested a 40 and the steering mechanism is similar, then you're going to get comparable results. But, you know, personally, when we, you know, when we took the, the you know, the, the catamaran out in Thailand, I... Even if it had been the most beautiful catamaran in the world, I felt so little connection between me steering it and the performance of the boat that it, it was it was a turn-off for me so yeah I, I think that's interesting and I, it's interesting that you do take into account the you know the the, ex the experience when designing a boat okay so I want to talk to you you know continuing the discussion about hull volume so hull volume you know volume is is, is a you know the parameters of volume it's it's depth breadth and, and height so height contributes to windage and we've seen catarans very very many designs some of them are huge and there's so much windage that they carry um how do you reduce windage and what are your thoughts on windage because again it's a, just an extension of volume yes yeah, so windage is a finale it's a consequence of um of your inside volume and the choice of the of the program and uh, it's because it's difficult to have a high volume cruising charter cat and keep a low windage, um, I would say it's almost impossible. But you can play on some parameters to, to reduce the windage. Uh, first parameter I would say is the you keep the shear line as low as possible. So the shear line is the, um, is the line from the side, side hull to the deck, out, yeah, outboard. Um, no fly, fly bridge um, will help to reduce the windage and then you can work on the aerodynamic for example the swept back angle of the roof windows that will help for the for the wind but also the waves that coming onto the deck so again if we were to take if we were to take like a cross section through the whole boat not just one hull as we discussed in a previous episode we took a cross section of like uh the boat both holes you would look at to see the angles of that because obviously if you take something like i don't know i think everyone knows that and i'm not lagoon for instance they, they you know their their trademark are, are fairly you know upright windows now that is going to provide a lot of windage but I mean, and what they say is that the, the the advantage of those windows is that you know the sun doesn't come through at an oblique angle and heat the boat up. But you know, in just discussing windage, so we're looking at keeping that shear line down, um, the aerodynamic angles of windows to kind of allow wind to pass over it in kind of like a more laminar fashion rather than just hitting and and going up, and then obviously hulls um, and the, you know the, the shape of the hulls as well. Shape of the hull, the, your head height. If you have 2.2 meters of head height inside the hull, it will uh, it will um, make more windage. Um, your bridge deck clearance. Um, if you have a um, low bridge deck clearance with fat hull, then your the area, the tunnel between the hull and the bridge deck and the water will be so small 
that you will get a lot of uh, overpressure inside the tunnel and um, so the, the air won't, the flow won't pass through this uh, easily and then uh, we create even more windage. Okay, so the bridge, okay, uh, do you know, again, these are all massively revealing. So essentially it's the release of air as well as water through that bridge deck, or the under, you know, between the hulls. Okay, so yeah, that's that's really interesting. So you need to have enough space either in height or as I think as we discussed in a previous episode, the width between hulls to allow both the movement of air as well as water to, to go through and, you know, uh, you know, either stop slamming or, you know, contribute to the windage. Yeah, so to calculate the windage, um, it's simply you take the, uh, the side view um, and the front view and you take all the projected surface area and that gives you the, your windage. I just wanted to go back to touching about flybridges because we have a lot of discussion, especially from people that, you know, are looking to buy catamarans. I personally don't like flybridges. And the reason I don't like them is that just essentially they're up so much higher. What happens is you are, you know, you are have a greater pendulum effect from being that much higher above the waterline. But also you're losing mainsail area because you've got to put a flybridge up which means that you know your your mainsail your boom's got to be higher mainsail therefore is smaller but also you know i don't think a lot of people consider the the extra windage does the flybridge contribute significantly to windage yes it does yeah. okay. um, especially when you are to when you want to come back to your uh, to your sleep to your bed at the harbor uh, it can be tricky if you have a massive windage. Yeah, okay, fantastic. Right, I just want to tack on to this. You know, windage is, you know, we now have got discussions about hull width, hull shape, daggerboard shape, the volume, interior volume, the windage of such high volumes, and those are in previous episodes if you haven't already watched them. Now I want to talk to you about bow shape. Now there are huge trends in sailing that we have seen come through monohulls and, you know, when we were commissioning Ruby Rose eight years ago now you know the trend was for twin wheels and everyone wanted twin wheels and really you know over, over single wheels but what we've seen now in catarans is the reverse the reverse bow you know the dreadnought bows and I like them I, I think they look good but is there anything more to that or is it just an evolution of what people have seen in racing boats it depends on the catamaran. If it's a uh, yeah, cruising, pure cruising, uh, more charter, it's purely uh, fashion, purely aesthetic. And on some catamaran, really performance, performance, uh, cat, performance cruiser catamaran, yeah, it does. It, it is um, an interesting, um, it makes an interesting uh, difference. Each bow will have a different impact on the entire cat behaviors. It's not just a bow that cuts through the water and that's it. The bow has a has an impact on on your on your on your how how your cat will react to the to the wave and extra. Okay, okay, okay. So reverse or dreadnought bows. Let's start with advantages of dreadnought dreadnought bows in either performance or non-performance catamarans. Well, you said that you know non-performance catamarans that it's just a cosmetic thing. So in a performance catamaran reverse bows, what are the advantages? Um, I just want to add that the reverse bow on a charter catamaran, if you want to have a high volume, it, uh, it doesn't match, it's not, uh, com it's not compatible, it's, uh, it's not possible. Uh, you can't have a flare, a flare 
first cross section and a reverse ball. It's a uh, Okay, so so if you've got if your cross section of the hull is is wide and deep to get the internal volume, putting a reverse bow in is that is that just aesthetic or is it just the physics? Is doesn't make it viable? Um, geometry and and also if you if you do make a, a reverse bow uh, with high volume, no, it's uh, it would be uh, it would be dangerous. Yeah, I do discount, and if you if you if you make this, will be dangerous. Why would it be dangerous? Is it just a structural problem, or is it just you know doesn't the sailing characteristics? Yeah, sailing characteristics, the hydrodynamic, because it's the reverse plan. So all your bow needs to be really fine uh, when it will go when the bow will go down into the water. If you have a, a high volume, the bow will continue to go down. And it would be uh, you can submarine. Yeah. Okay. So basically, so what you're saying is that if so, reverse bows only really work for practical and safety reasons where you have narrower hulls. Yes. Okay. So perfect. So the pros of reverse bows. So what are the advantages of reverse bows then? Um. It increases your pitch stability, the hobby horsing effect. So it reduces your, your, your pitching. Um, By increasing the waterline length, I'm assuming. Um, even if you, are, if you have two boats of the same length, one has the reverse bow, one doesn't have, uh, it, it will increase your, your pitching ability. Is that because there's less weight in the boat with the reverse bow? Um, no, no, it's a hydrodynamic effect. Um, so the, on a conventional bow uh, with flare, uh, the pitching is aggravated when the bow picks, picks up a large increase in buoyancy, has the high waves, high waves paces. Um, it throws the bow in the air and then uh, it drops back again and uh, the cycle is repeated. So what you're saying is that essentially the pros of it, 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 it reduces pitching. So having a reverse bow re re reduces the pitching of a boat in as it's, you know, and thus therefore reduces hobby horsing. Yeah. Okay, and obviously there's less weight because there's less, there's less material above the water. Yes. Okay, but so basically the main advantage is stability and performance. Mm, yes. Less weight, less windage, but I think that's not the main uh, advantage of the reverse bow. When the reverse bow down in the water, uh, it will be easier to go out because it's a finer bow, and the ability to shed the water is um, is, is higher because when uh, when the bow goes under, when the bow when the reverse bow goes under, it will shed the water. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. So yeah, so basically, as the boat pitches. It, it, it's easy to come up because there's less there's less material there's less wetted material. But yeah, and on a conventional bow, so you have such a high volume, and if this bow goes under, it will it's such a high volume, and you can basically you can pitch pole. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. Okay, fantastic. So the disadvantages of reverse bows, to me, it's going to be simply a function of or factor of there's less volume. Yes, less volume on the forward uh, section of the hull. Uh, it's also very wet. 
Um, and when the when the sail is uh, heavily loaded, the, you have a large forward lever when bearing away, and um, that will tend to stuff the bow under under water. And um, a reverse bow has far less buoyancy to oppose that force. And to compensate that, you generally need a longer forward hull. Okay, so basically the, the reduction in buoyancy is the disadvantage. Yes, so, yeah, so, for the, so you end up having a longer, uh, longer boat with, uh, if, you are, if you do have okay. a reverse bow. Okay, so, so basically there's no point in putting reverse bows or reverse bows on, on a boat below a certain waterline length. No. No, no. Okay. And um, yeah, the, because yeah, the the reverse bow works only if the the hull is uh, is uh, narrow and the narrow hull it's performance. For okay. Performance. So, okay. So basically, when you're designing and when you're considering putting a reverse bow onto a boat, you need to look at whether the boat is long enough to take it, whether the hulls are narrow enough to take it, and that is what confers the advantage. So it's mm -hmm. not just an aesthetic thing. Yes, um, you can. There is a trick. Nonetheless, there is a trick. You can um, have the the first, let's say, 300, 400 millimeter above the waterline uh, plumb, straight, mm -hmm. and then you make a reverse bow. Uh, so you don't okay. have the disadvantage of the of the of the reverse bow, and you still have the aesthetic of the reverse bow. Okay, that's interesting. So, so plumb, plumb for 400 mil and then reverse, and then you get the best of both worlds. Oh, interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Antoine. So that concludes this technical episode. Again, thank you so much to Antoine. We are really taking a huge deep dive into Cataran design. And I, it's so interesting for us to just to be able to listen to a naval architect cutting through all the marketing um, gump that you get from manufacturers about how good their boats are when when you get into the nitty-gritty it is actually about how well that naval architect has designed his hulls his bows the profiles and that is what is going to give you the boat that is going to give you the performance that you desire so thank you so much to antoine we will be back again with another technical episode real soon thank you for watching this one we'll see you again goodbye if you enjoyed the episode, thanks very much. Feel free to subscribe, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, whatever you choose. We have some more technical episodes coming up about boat building, including infusion techniques and the actual materials that your boat is built of. Even within fiberglass and resin, there is so much variance in quality. So we'll see you again for those episodes. Have an amazing day, whatever you choose to do. Goodbye.